0: It is 8pm on Tuesday the 15th of October and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. welcome to tonight's Best Possible Taste. I'm Anthony O'Toole, standing in for your usual host, Sharon Noonan, and bringing you to Wexford for this evening's show. Thanks to Sharon for giving me the opportunity to share this new but so old culinary experience of Wexford with you. Wexford is located in the cornerstone of Ireland's Ancient East, and as many of your regular listeners know, it is my home county. Wexford has a rich colony heritage and is known as a model county in Ireland for its exceptional farming and food heritage dating back thousands of years. For this show and as part of the Tasty Island Campaign, I'm taking you to a state just outside Wexford Town, which is starting to champion and protect our colony heritage, one which I'm really passionate about. This is a story which I'm really excited about and one I'm sure I'll be talking about over the next year or so. Picture parklands, lakes, honeybees, gardens, a castle, wildlife and a lot of peacocks. And I mean a lot of peacocks. The jewel in question is Johnstown Castle, estate, museum and gardens which is managed by the Irish Heritage Trust. This place really gives you a slice of Irish social and cultural history. The castle sits on a hundred plus acres with an agriculture museum alongside the Environmental Protection Agencies, Chagas and the Department of Agriculture, which all are housed on the campus. For me, what is very special about Johnstone Castle, apart from its natural beauty, is the people who are helping to restore the estate back to what it once was. I am delighted to recently join their family and help them developing their food experiences. Before we hear from our first guest, let me tell you how to get in touch with Sharon here at Best Possible Taste. You can make contact by emailing Sharon at s.noonan at live.ie or tweet Queen of Org as for Queen of Organization or Sharon is on Instagram at Sharon J. Noonan. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at Anthony O'Toole underscore or check out my website at AnthonyOtile.com So tonight's interviews come from Johnstown Castle where they hosted a fabulous honeybee festival at the end of September to celebrate how important bees are in the cycle of life. Over two days of their festival, Johnstown ran a honeybee trail around the estate along with a variety of hands-on workshops and tastings with people like Bean and Goose Chocolate who are from Wexford, Trish from... Trish Honey Products in Waterford, and a good friend of mine, Susan Boyle, who did an amazing food, honey, and beer tasting. Also, another good friend of mine, Ella Kennedy, who runs Kitchen and Larder, took over the cafe for me for the two days and ran a beautiful honey teen menu. So Lorraine O'Dwyer from Gallivanting Tours in Wexford was our eyes and ears at the festival and met three key people to find out more about Johnstown Castle and the Honey Bee Festival. Our first guest this evening is Brenda Comerford, who recently took up the post as the General Estate Manager at Johnstown Castle. Let's hear what she told the ring. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
1: Delicious. Mmm. So Brenda, you have the very exciting job of running this place. Um, I know that Johnstown has a place in many Wexford people's hearts, but for those people listening, can you tell them a little bit about this place?
2: Absolutely Lorraine. So we're very fortunate all to work here at Johnstown. I'm only here a couple of months but it actually inspired me to become, um, to follow a career in heritage. I came here on a school tour when I was seven and that was what um, really was a, you know, very important moment for me. So to come back here now as general manager um, a a few short months ago has been amazing. So Johnstown Castle Estate, Museum and Gardens are now managed by Irish Heritage Trust and the Trust is a, it's a charitable body and um, what we do is manage historic properties in a way where we preserve and conserve them but also it's all about accessibility and interaction and it's very much about people, place and participation. So that's really where um, between a wonderful idea by Forge Ireland and then the, the wonderful freedom we have in through working for Irish Heritage Trust to really Focus on people coming in and having a hands-on experience. So, Johnstown Castle here really started as um, an agricultural museum and a, f- and a museum dedicated to the production of food. Um, and really, we would have items in the collection going back centuries. We've one of the finest collections in the country. And the reason that the castle um, was actually was the place where this museum started was that the original family who owned it gave the castle and the estate over to um, the Department of Agriculture, would you believe, in 1944, with the proviso that it would be used for food science research. Because at the time, literally, people in Ireland were starving. So here at Johnstown, we have that wonderful history of developing Irish food and of innovation. And it continues today because Chagask and the EPA and Department of Agriculture are based here on our campus. So between them, they are leading the way internationally in food research. And of course, for us then, we complement that with the Agricultural Museum collection. And when I came here, one of the things, one of the many things that were incredible about Johnstown was that we have our own native Irish black bees here. And that was the Original inspiration for the festival and also
1: after an absolutely wonderful day spent with the Tasty Island team. As well as the museum, um, we have plans for the inside of the castle. The inside of the castle is a museum but it's not quite a museum for, you plan events inside the castle, uh, you plan to have events inside the castle as well, is that right?
2: That's right. So, um, as I say, the the land and the castle were left to the the state uh, in 1944 and the castle was used at times by students so it's amazing to think it's a new gothic castle it's very elaborate it's very ornate to think of young horticultural students living there in dormitories in the ballroom and working in the wall garden and um they have great stories about wonderful parties that they had over the years so um for for all those years, really, the very few people would have seen the inside of the castle, maybe uh, family and friends of Chaga staff at Christmas time or when people came to meet them in in the offices they had there so um in nineteen in, in twenty sixteen there was actually a law had to be passed to allow it to become for I suppose you call it recreational or tourism use because they realised what a gem it was, but it needed a huge amount of work. And obviously for the Department of Agriculture in Chagask, their core function is innovation in food science and in research and in development. So they can't commit, they wouldn't be allowed to commit any of their um, major capital funding to a tourism project normally. So um, they, they really, they understood what they had here in Johnstown and obviously Wexford and the Southeast really needed that extra piece of the puzzle, that extra gem that would Really draw more and more visitors, overseas and domestic, into the area. So they, with with the help of Forte Ireland, who donated two million, and the Department of Agriculture put up five million, we were able to do a huge restoration project. And a big part of that was with the castle because literally it needed a new roof, it needed reinforced floors, fire safety um, equipment, everything. And then there were some original pieces, and then that was complemented with other suitable pieces that were bought in so we now have about 12 rooms in the castle open to the public it takes a little over an hour and it means that we have this wonderful interactive tour very much inspired by the ethos of Irish Heritage Trust where it's about people getting in and being inspired and touching and there's no don't walk on the grass or don't touch the objects. It's very much about engaging people with it. So now that we have that and the guided tours have been running since June, our plan now is to have more food events and to look at how we can bring the castle alive through that, through maybe evening events. We've Halloween coming up, which will be pretty much for families, but our plans in the future would be candlelit evenings and also for corporates and for other groups that we will be able to host um, dinners and meals and workshops.
1: They might even be able to dress up and pretend to be lord and ladies of the manor for a while, anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, and you mentioned Halloween, so there you, you do plan having events going on. This is for the foreseeable future, and they'll nearly all be food related. Is that
2: right? That's right. So for Halloween, we'll have um, very much a family orientated tour, but particularly with the amount of folklore we have here in the collection, and also when you consider our beautiful uh, woodland here and our um, the kitchen garden that you know we are we are restoring in the wall gardens what we want to do is there will be very much about incorporating all of those in, into into different events so what we want to do as well for halloween we would hope to have food related events around that because obviously we have you know the wild berries and nuts and fruits that are in the in the um, woodland and in the land itself and then of course we have uh, our, our gardener Kieran is restoring our wall garden and our glass houses. So we're really building towards a situation where we will have our cafe supplied with wonderful fruit and veg from our walled gardens and a menu inspired by what's in season and really showing the wonderful rich
1: heritage and food that Wexford has to offer. And workshops as well to enhance it so people can take those skills home with them too. Exactly, yeah. And, and
2: really that it changes lives, in fact. One of the things we have here too is wonderful walking trails. So we have a 1.5 kilometre walking trail just about to open around one of our three lakes. Um, it's actually the largest lake in Wexford. And part of that, one of the doctors locally is actually handing out prescriptions now saying, get out, take out membership of johnstown castle and get out there and get walking and part of that too is of course to come and buy our amazing honey when they come here so we have for a number of years been producing our own honey it was a bit of a local i suppose not that we wanted it secret but um it'll be snapped up overnight and now what we want to do and this is where the honey festival came from as well is that we will be able to expand the amount of hives we have the research we can take part in and obviously then the honey that we can sell and use in our in our restaurant One of the things, of course, is that it's not only about the food that we eat, but it's how it's prepared and how it's presented and how it's saved as well. So we obviously want to get away from the idea of processed food, which is causing so many health problems nowadays, but also get away from the uses of plastic and back to natural materials. So the museum is full of all the ways that over the centuries Irish people prepared and also how they um, saved food. And what was wonderful then today, Lorraine, was that you came along and did your amazing work with beeswax and it just showed people rather than using nasty chemicals for lighting the fire or for buffing furniture and which in the end damages it and, and most importantly that you can make your own beeswax I suppose people call it cling film. I'm not quite sure. I'm sure you know what it's really called. But the difference that makes in what you throw out, um, it also, I, I think from what you said, the food doesn't sweat in the same way that it would. And and, and what you did today really fits with what what we want to promote, which is using beautiful. Um, in season fruit and veg and then also then cutting out plastic and nasty chemicals
1: yeah and we, we I, I'm looking forward to running workshops and teaching more people how to do this so they can take those skills and take lovely memories of Johnstown Castle home with them as well so thanks very much Brenda for having me here today it's our pleasure Lorraine and um, do you want to tell people where they can find any more information how to find the castle absolutely so our website is
2: johnstowncastle.ie and we're also on um, Twitter And on um, Facebook and the usual social media channels. So, we'll have another day tomorrow of of workshops and of the beekeepers here meeting people, interacting with them, and of our family trail around the gardens. Um, And what we hope to do, obviously, is going, we really want this to be a national festival, and that's where people like yourself come in because you broaden what we can offer here. It's an amazing site, but there are so many other aspects that we can bring to it and more information we can provide. And then, straight away, come Monday, um, i will be signing off on our plans for halloween which is um going to be very exciting i'm really looking forward to that one <laughs> thank, thank you, you very, you very much.
3: much you're listening
0: to the best possible taste with Sharon Welcome back to Best Possible Taste. I'm Anthony O'Toole, standing in for your usual host, Sharon Noonan, to bring you a Wexford-focused show this evening. Just before the break, we got an exciting insight into the plans of Johnstown Castle, thanks to the General Estate Manager, Brenda Comerford, who was in conversation with Lorraine O'Dewire from Gallivanting Tours. Still to come tonight, we're going to find out more about the majestic gardens when Lorraine speaks to the new head gardener, Kieran Fitzgerald, and the curator of the museum and also the beekeeper on the estate, Matt Wheeler, will be sharing some of the history of the castle, including its beekeeping associations. If you're just tuning in now, you might want to catch up with the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it is repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are also available to listen on SharonNoonan.com, as well as the iTunes and the podcast app. Now, anyone who's got the opportunity to visit Johnstown will be familiar with the Amazing Grounds, which it sits on. So let's find out more about the beautiful surroundings from its head gardener, Ciarán Fitzgerald. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grub's up.
1: Delicious. Mmm. Mmm.
4: My name's Caron Fitzgerald and I'm the head gardener at Johnstown Castle. I've been here for about seven weeks now, uh, so I'm new enough to the position but I'm kind of a big plans for the place and I can't wait to get stuck in. I, before here I was the head gardener at uh, Kilmocky House, another place in Wexford for about nearly four years. My training before that I've kind of trained both horticulture and landscape design, so I'm kind of well-rounded in the position.
1: What's a typical day at the moment in Johnstown?
4: At the moment, it all depends. Uh, we have volunteers coming on Tuesdays and Fridays. So that would be, I divide them into groups and we do we tackle kind of bigger projects. So we tackle a specific area. So this week, let's say we were cutting down large areas of Laurel that are taken over woodland near and Castle just to create views and vistas again in the larger kind of grounds of the castle. But uh, normally, typically, at the moment, it's just a whole load of weeding. Cause- <laughs> I'm running the four acre wall garden organically. So it's just a whole lot of weaning at the moment until we get on top of it. And after that, we'll see. We've big plans for the future, but it's all the donkey work at the moment.
1: And tell me about the uh, the kitchen gardens, because there's a lot planned for the kitchen gardens.
4: Yeah, I have big plans kind of in the future. Um, one of the areas I'm really kind of, I want to show people a, a more fun way of growing food in their gardens. So I want to introduce two large edible beds uh in front of our at lar- uh, the long uh, glass house in the wall garden the new veg beds will be planted in a more sort of loose herbaceous style as opposed to the linear lines of a traditional veg bed so it'll just it's a lot more natural almost like prairie looking and it'll just show that you don't have to have the boring sort of square box veg to have a to have it in your garden uh, that'll be mostly kind of botanicals edible flowers leaves and herbs and stuff like that and then, uh, in the future, we hope to introduce around one hundred new apple trees into the second half of the wall garden to hopefully start producing rotten apple juice
1: <laughs> and You have experience with kitchen gardens before, so and I know you use a lot of edible you 've provided kitchens with a lot of edible flowers before, so it 's not you, you, you like something unusual.
4: Yeah, before here, when working in Kilmorey House, we had uh, quite a large potager garden, which is just a French style of veg garden, and. There I produce as much as possible, kind of seasonal veg for the cafe and the restaurant in the house. So it kind of, throughout the year I kind of introduced new stuff and every year I had like new different veg. I always tried to have something new and different. So I had melons and that kind of over the last sort of two years and I've done different type of peppers and that. So I'm always trying to show people just new and interesting ways of growing veg and we had an edible meadow down there as well in Kilmer Quay, so it'd be something that I wouldn't mind introducing here in Johnstown again.
1: And Johnstown, I know, once had a melon garden, so do you plan to grow the same kind of exotic fruits here?
4: I do. One of the great kind of facts about Johnstown that I found out when I got here, it's the first place in Ireland to grow an edible banana. So I'd love to kind of reintroduce like that back into the glasshouse once it's restored. Uh, in regards to the melon garden, unfortunately, We've, it's all full of all our bees, so I can't uh, turn that back into sure. what it was, but uh, there's definitely scope for growing all kind of the old veg. We have records going back kind of into the 1800s of stuff they would have put into agricultural shows around and they've won a lot of medals. So I'd love to start bringing back in a couple of the varieties that they had back in the day, kind of more heritage varieties
1: and are you excited about the idea of providing food for the cafe
4: yeah I'm, I'm very excited it's um it's always my fashion to kind of just not to have just one sort of purpose for a garden just to have multi layers of the garden it, it, people often get stuck in like a team or kind of the uh, one purpose and I think there's like multi multi layers that you can have in a garden and it doesn't have to like contrast with everything at all it can all mingle in Um, very easily and I think uh, people get scared an awful lot with food when they hear food in gardens and it's not as much work as they think it's if you just a few little tips and tricks and it's like it's very very easy to
1: maintain and at Johnstown we're here for a bee festival so are the bees I assume are very important to you um would they would they be a big part of your garden will you be planting for the bees as well
4: I will uh at the moment we have a nice little uh wildflower meadow in the old melon garden around the beehives and the plan for the future I've just gotten delivery last week of a couple of thousand uh, seeds uh, which will be become in about two years time or a year and a half time our new herbaceous border which will be done in a prairie planting style so it'll be all pollinator plants and whatever isn't used by the bees can be used as seed heads by the birds in the winter so it'll all be kind of going back to nature and kind of very much sort of biodiversity is kind of the the main sort of driving force in the planting scheme that'll have even down to the hedging instead of using Sort of what tradition will be used in gardens in Ireland, which would be like Laurel and Grislinia, which have very little environmental impact. We'll be using a lot more native sort of yews and hollies and stuff like that. So there'll be the berries and the flowers and that. So just having monthly purposes for each of the plants.
1: And when visitors come here, will they be able to talk to you? Will they have an opportunity to take a tour with you or anything like that?
4: Yeah, I'm hoping that once the glass house is up and running, I'd love to start doing workshops and kind of uh, night classes and that in there and just different sort of techniques, be it simple things like seeds and cuttings right up to proper organic gardening and uh, talks and that just uh, yeah, okay. in the future.
1: And do you cook much yourself?
4: Actually, kind of do, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of uh, and uh, funny. You know I'm, I'm actually vegetarian, so it's all veg and stuff that I use. So it's uh, yeah, no. I always try and uh, I'm always trying to grow stuff that I kind of can take home myself and kind of use in my own cooking. But yeah, no, would be. Uh,
1: what would be in in what in the plans that you have for Johnston? What yeah. would be the most exciting one for you personally? Like, is there something that you're very excited about? or is it just all of it
4: all of it really it's kind of with the woodland it's going to take a few years but i plan on taking out all of the invasive laurel that's there because at the moment it's smothering any tree seedlings from coming up so the plan for that is as i take out each of the little woodland sections like get rid of it get rid of the laurel from them Um, they'll all be planted with native bulbs so where I said I was working this week in and that'll all be planted with uh, native broadleafed wild garlic. So it's stuffed out that we can introduce down in the cafe for like pestos and salads and stuff like that. So it's not just pretty flower size. So all the food won't be just produced in the walled garden. It'll actually be produced out in the grounds as well. So.
1: And would you like that to be highlighted in the cafe so when people come and they finish their lunch and have gone for a walk, they can go, that's where the pesto came from?
4: Yeah, it'd be nice. I always find people are interested to see where their food comes from and if we can produce as much as possible on the grounds, then all the better, especially because it's, it'll be all done organically as well. So it's just that one bit better again, especially considering the bee festivals here. It's like anything to promote the kind of peas <laughs> as well. So
1: um and it being the home of the national agricultural museum um it's full of old gardening things i right, i know you have a passion for the old ways yeah. so is that something nice for you as well or
4: yeah I'm very much into the old techniques like my first job was in Lismore Castle where it was kind of what got me into gardening there was they taught me how to like make rope from dried nettles and the old way of pruning a bunch of grapes to present to who would have been the owner of the house at the time. So it's like it's all those old uh, techniques that are kind of getting lost is what first brought me into gardening and from then it was just the plants took over and it was just riding the wave after that of kind of just loving gardening. So I'd love to introduce some of the old ways here. Um, I've connections with the National Heritage Park here. Uh, with one of the managers Chris and he's hoping to start using uh, siding up here so we're going to leave some of the areas in the garden uh, just all the grass just let grow along and we're hoping to bring in all techniques of just siding and stuff like that to cut them rather than using kind of just modern machinery and that so
1: so any plans for nettle beer or anything like that
4: I don't know I've tried making it before myself and it turned out horrific (laughs) I uh, I can do a good rhubarb champagne though so I wouldn't mind trying to get that going here
1: have you any advice to any, any budding gardeners at home who want to start up their own kitchen garden?
4: I know it's always a cliche, but just don't be scared. Uh, start simple. Uh, the easiest thing to do is kind of herbs. They can be done in pots or outside, and an awful lot of the Mediterranean stuff you can get away with, like, if you forget about them, it doesn't really matter, like, the times and the rosemary and that. They, like, if they dry out a bit, they love the drier kind of condition, so you don't have to be too careful with them. From then, like, just go back to the classics. Just as spuds are just unbelievably easy to grow, and the harvest you get off them is always fantastic. Like the organics is my passion, and it's very easy to kind of come by nowadays. Just like let's say concentrated seaweed for your plant food and stuff like that, or there's always a local farmer if you're in the country that's more than willing to give you a bit of manure. Um, you start with the soil, and if the soil's happy then you'll have happy plants. If you don't have happy soil, you don't have happy plants. So take care of your soil and eventually grow after that without a bother.
1: That's fantastic, Kieran. Thanks very much and best of luck in the new job. Thanks very much.
0: You're listening to The Best Hospital Taste with Sharon Noonan. Back to best possible taste. I'm Anthony O'Toole, standing in for your usual host Sharon Noonan, to bring you a Wexford Focus show this evening. Just before the break, Lorena DeWire met the head gardener of Johnstown Castle, Kieran Fitzgerald, whose passion for landscaping and growing vegetables and fruit organically was clearly evident and had great advice about starting your own kitchen garden. I can personally advocate the benefits of growing your own produce, as in my spare time, I'm building my own edible garden. If you are just tuning in now, you might want to catch the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it is repeated on Wednesday mornings at 8am. The podcasts are available to listen at SharonNoonan.com as well as iTunes and the podcast app. Now, Lorraine's final interview tonight is... With Johnstown Castle's curator and beekeeper Matt Wheeler, who delves into more of the castle's history and, in particular, its beekeeping associations. Let's have a listen. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up.
1: Delicious. Mmm.
3: My name is Matt Wheeler. I'm the curator here at Johnstown Castle and I work for the Irish Agricultural Museum. Previously, I worked here as curator for the Irish Agricultural Museum. So my remit was looking after the, the museum and its collection. Uh, the gardens and castle came under Chogask, But now, under the Trust, all three things are being run by them. So I'm, my brief is wider than that now. It's curated not just of the museum, but of the castle and the gardens. So all the historic bits.
1: You're from England originally?
3: Yeah, I'm from Gloucestershire, a um, place called Stroud. That's where my family were farming, in the dairy farming. Oh,
1: they were farmers? Yes. So you have a farming background
3: farming background um, exactly Um, so that's why the job appealed when it came up Um, I've never been in 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 um, charge of a um, agricultural collection before so it was kind of um, coming full full circle uh, uh, you know given the family background
1: so you must have a real love for this museum.
3: I do, yeah, absolutely. And when we, when we came across in, in 2011, my wife and I, who's also a, a museum curator, uh, we went round the, the museum here and went right round the castle. And it was a really dingy February winter's day. And there was no one walking around. Um, the museum was all closed up because it didn't even open um, at weekends uh, in the winter. Um, but even so, you could still see the enormous potential of the place.
1: And now that um, that the castle and the gardens and the museum are all together, out in the gardens we have the bees. So this is something that you now have uh, taken on,
3: is that right? Correct, yeah. How it's come about, it's kind of gone organically I suppose, is that um, just by working here you get to appreciate nature and I'm from the countryside originally. So after a couple of years, I started walking around in my lunch hour around the gardens and just uh, listening to the birds, and then you'd see the odd animal. And I'm an early bird, so I'd drive in in the mornings, and you'd sometimes see deer. And it suddenly struck me that this place was a real um, haven for, for wildlife and biodiversity. So we, we invested in some wildlife cameras, and we started monitoring the wildlife here.
1: I've seen those cameras in the museum, yeah, of of the live footage um, the mess and things. And
3: since we started detecting in 2015, we've now detected every Irish land mammal on site here, be it otter or deer or pine martin that have come in most recently, and red squirrels and hare and rabbits and foxes and badgers. Everything is here, which which took us by surprise and then that kind of led into other projects we started then putting up nest boxes for swifts that come in in the spring and that's gone well we then started counting the bats we've got an enormous bat roost in the museum one of the largest we think in the country mm. so we count the bats during the spring and summer season our biggest count was
2: 734 well done
3: okay yeah and then we suddenly started taking interest in the bees um, because we realized there were some wild bee colonies li- using the museum courtyard building and using the castle as their home. Um, and these are wild feral bees. And um, we started just um, sort of monitoring them, seeing how they were faring. Um, And then we heard about the South West for Beekeepers Association and the fact they do a beginner's course every year, advertised in the paper, and myself and a couple of work colleagues decided to go along and do the course. So tell
1: us about the special bees that Johnstone has.
3: Well, they've um, talking to um, employees here and people who've worked here in the past. It sounds like that they've been using the, the fabric of the buildings for, for many, many years, and that's, that's interesting for the bee researchers because they seem to have developed some sort of resistance to the varroa mite, which has been causing problems in the honeybee populations all around the world and um so and and we realized also being bees and being in a small cavity they they sometimes swarm during the the may and june season so we got out some swarm boxes and we managed to catch some of these bees <laughs>
1: well done <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: and we then um, set up um, an apiary uh, a couple of years ago in the old melon garden which is near the upper wall garden and um, and put them into hives there and now we monitor them and and as well as monitoring them and seeing how they fare we we obviously take honey off them which we sell in the shop
1: and talking about the honey so you you thought you did you didn't know you had a family tradition of beekeeping
3: correct yeah It was only by talking to my mother when I started doing the course that she said she piped up and said, oh, um, I think your uncle Arthur used to keep bees. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. This will be my grandfather's um, brother-in-law. And when we started looking into a bit more, we then we we thought he was we we suddenly discovered he was it was on a much bigger bigger scale than we, we we'd assumed. And we got in touch with his son. Who would be my dad's uh, cousin John, and um, we discovered actually he was one of the biggest beekeepers in England, <laughs> um, and he kept bees in the Cotswolds in Gloucestershire, where I'm from, and um, had four hundred hives. Um, That's not just a
1: hobby, that's wow. (laughs) That was
3: actually his business, we were discovered. And during the First World War, um, he um, wasn't conscripted and he he kept bees and kept the honey, you know, for for people back home. And not only that, we then uh, realised he was actually a pioneer in the beekeeping world because he actually exported some of his bee colonies to places like uh, Uganda and Africa and to India. Wow. Um, in the 1930s which obviously went with um, planes and transport to back then was, was quite an undertaking but yeah. the bees did actually survive the journey well that's good um, how well they got on we don't know but I think the the mission was to introduce more placid bees in Africa where the African bees are obviously known as killers and mm. feisty temp- temperaments mm. um, so it was interesting work what he was doing and I, got, I gather also he was he even um, exported some bees to Ireland as well
1: okay um, any connections to the grogan family oh, they don't... have a bee history too they
3: do yeah i mean at the, then we started looking into the history of beekeeping on the site here and one of the former owners of the castle was a man called john knox grogan um, who lived here in the early 1800s and we 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 uncovered a bit of archive from the from the rds uh, and he was actually given a premium like a grant i suppose um, for the keeping of bees um, here on the estate so we thought that was interesting um, So obviously beekeeping on, on the place has been going on for, for many, many years
1: And this isn't the first bee festival
3: No, exactly And then we then discovered literally last weekend That Lady Fitzgerald, who lived here in the 1900s Was a keen beekeeper, beekeeper herself We never knew this until last week Literally last week um, And she was actually the president of the first South Westford Beekeepers Association who have been here this weekend, and that was formed in 1911. And a couple of years later, they had a big um, honey event in um, Wexford Town. It was all to do with the, the beekeepers coming together, um, almost like a cooperative to sell the honey to the big honey, honey buyers, the Boyne Valleys of this world, um, to get the best price for, for the local beekeepers. And that was in September, I think it was 1913, but it's pretty much the same weekend as when we're doing our honey festival now, which was kind of extraordinary, really.
1: Meant to be. And so the Taste the Island workshop with Falter Ireland, this in, did, would, it, would, it, would I be right in saying that this inspired the Bee Festival?
3: Absolutely it did, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've been looking for the right sort of vehicle for um, showcasing the, the bees and the wildlife and the pollination and the biodiversity of, of the estates. And so by attending that, we thought, ah. That's, that's the key to it all. That's the way in which we can bring all this research and endeavour and enthusiasm together under sort of the, the, the umbrella of Tasty Island.
1: But we can't. We won't have food if we don't have bees.
3: No, I mean, I gather um, that um, a third of what we eat on the table comes from, as a result of insect pollination. So that's how important it is. Mm. Not just the honeybees, but the bumblebees and the other, the other po- insect pollinators as well.
1: Mm. Have you any, any plans for the future?
3: yeah we want to um, develop the apiary further we, we have six hives at the, the moment uh, ideally we'd like to get up to maybe 10 12 in the area where they are at the moment um, but we also are hoping to work with department of agriculture who have um, a, a base on the campus here and um, they're looking to establish a, a small apiary near their offices oh, great. Um, they've got a wildlife pond there at the moment so we're looking to work with them um, we're also working with the other partners on site here, Chogosk, and also the Environmental Protection Agency. All the green teams come together and we meet quite regularly. Um, we're looking at new ways to improve um, biodiversity on the estate, so like not cutting the grass at certain times and that type of thing any little measure that can help uh, insect life or the bird life or or the wildlife generally
1: congratulations matt on all the successes so far and long may it continue
3: oh thank you very much appreciate that bon appetit yummy grubs up delicious mmm
0: And that was Matt Wheeler, the curator and beekeeper at Johnstown Castle in Wexford, sharing lots of fascinating history of the castle with Lorraine and demonstrating their commitment to preserving the bee colonies on the estate. A special thank you to everyone at the castle for having us visit the Honey Bee Festival. And I want to say a personal thanks to Brenda, Matt, Kieran, Carmel and all the wonderful workers and volunteers on the estate for letting me join their family for this festival and all the exciting projects to come over the year and that brings us to the end of tonight's show which was produced by your usual host sharon noonan thanks for listening and a huge thanks to lorraine for meeting our guests at johnstown castle brenda Cunningford, the estate manager Kieran fitzgerald the head gardener and matt wheeler who's the curator and beekeeper on the estate to keep up to date with more culinary events and news from the model county please visit tastewixer.ie and to find out about Lorraine O'Dwyer and her portfolio workshops food tours and storytelling please visit gallivantingtours.ie I'm Anthony O'Toole and you can contact me on Twitter or Instagram at O'Toole underscore or check out my website at antonyotoole.com. until next time bon appetit thanks for listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan to get in touch with the best possible taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organization. Bon appétit!